go to Luke chapter 23. This is not the teaching I was going to teach, but I think maybe the Lord put it on my heart. So, This is one of those chapters of the Bible that really always ministers to me. And um, I'm blessed to be here. Uh, it's, a, it's an incredible and great privilege to be here, to be able to talk to you guys. I can't, I can't overestimate how uncomfortable I was when I was your age. And uh, I remember, um, I remember uh, going to a conference um, uh, in, in Phoenix. No, Flagstaff, Arizona. And Elizabeth Elliott was one of the speakers. And uh, I, was, I was in the conference, I think I must have been 18 because I was a senior. Uh, or I don't know, I don't know what I was, but I was a senior. I know I was a senior. And, um, you know, it's a big, huge auditorium. I was really, you know, blessed in, by the, the teachings and stuff like that. Very uncomfortable, awkward person. I'm still a somewhat uncomfortable, awkward person, but I'm older now, so some of the things I used to be uncomfortable about, I'm less uncomfortable about now. But I remember sitting there, I remember where I was sitting, I have like the visual in my, in my mind's eye, and I remember... Um, an altar call, and I remember kids, I call them now kids, I probably would have called them then kids, but I remember kids that were my, my peers, right? They were seniors, they were in 11th grade, 12th grade, and I remember them answering that call and standing up and going down to, to receive the Lord, and I remember my heart being moved. Um, I remember my heart being moved because I never really saw anything real in them. Um, even at that age, I was like, well, I mean, they, they're popular and they, they got all the, you know, they, they, they got all the, I don't know, I don't know what it is that you have, some, some measure of confidence, or the ability to fake confidence, one of those two things. And, and they had it, I didn't resent them for it, I just really felt like that was kind of like a shell, like a, like a hard shell that you couldn't really get past to see who the real person was. And uh, I wasn't great at getting to know who people were anyway, like, you know, getting to talk to what was going in the heart of a person. But you've got people that you talk to and there's sincerity there. There's earnestness there. And I, and I can't say how much I love that. Um, and then, but to see kind of these guys, I, I know their name, I won't tell you their name, <laughs> even though you're never gonna meet them, they're in Puerto Rico. Um, and, um, and I remember them coming to, to accept the Lord. And I remember just crying for them because I thought, man, God, you can reach that person's heart. You can reach that person's heart. I thought they were just like hard and they didn't care about the Lord or the things of the Lord. And, um, and that's probably the first and closest thing that I had to me knowing I was called to be a pastor. I didn't know that's what that calling meant. Um, but when the Lord kind of communicated to me what my calling was, um, I went back to moments like those. I went back to moments like those and I said, man, I don't know, but I have a passion for God's work in people's heart. Um, even people that I don't, I don't know, I, sh I don't know why I should have a passion for God's work in people's heart. And when I shared that with my pastor, he said, you might be called to ministry, you might be called to be a pastor. And um, I mentioned that because that's what comes to mind. I mean, it, it's funny just being here uh, I, I remember how I felt when I was sitting in these chairs, right? There were other chairs, but I remember all the feelings. 
um, I see some of the feelings in you guys. I see some of the, the discomfort. I see some of the, uh, like, a, like a veiled fear, you know. I had that. I had all that. Didn't know what to say, crippled by not knowing what to say. I started, if you talk to me now, I know all kinds of random facts about everything because I started reading the encyclopedia just so that I could avoid awkward silences. And, uh, and I got halfway through A before I gave up. But so anything about the letter A, I can talk to you about for like half an hour, uh, just because I didn't, I didn't like the silence. Um, but I, I see it and I, and I feel it and I, and I pray for you guys. I've been praying for you guys. I love you guys. Um, and I, I so empathize. My heart so goes out to the struggle that you're going through. And uh, I pray that the Lord would, that you would allow the Lord to speak to your heart. One of the hardest things to kind of see through or break through is that kind of, the, the same kind of shell that you put on so that other people won't see the turmoil that's going on inside. Um, other people can't see, but also it's hard for God to break through. And it's really hard for anyone to see if God is breaking through. But I know God's trying and I know he can because I've seen it happen before. And maybe this whole time that you've been here, the Lord's been speaking to your heart and you've, you know, kind of had your, 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 your face, your stone, you know, I'm cool face. And that's what my I'm cool face looks like. And that's why I'm not cool because my I'm cool face is I'm cool. Maybe nobody else can see that, but I want you to know that God can see what's going on inside your heart. And, and, and one of the things that's more important than what anybody else thinks about you I am, uh, I'm 40 as of this year. So I, I care a lot less about what people think about me than I used to. I kind of still want all of you guys to like me, but other people, I care a lot less about what they, 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 they think about me. But a lot more important than what other people think about you is where is your standing with the Lord? Have you surrendered your life to the Lord? Are you being genuine and sincere and earnest in your walk with the Lord? Uh, there's a quote from C.S. Lewis that says, if you don't want your heart uh, to ever get hurt, you can close it up in a box and you can protect it from all love. Um, but it won't stay the same when it's in there. Um, it'll become hard. It'll become like stone. It'll become incapable of loving. Because to love is to be vulnerable. And that's true of relationships, but that's also true of you and the Lord. If you're going to lock up your heart because you don't want to get hurt, you're not going to be able to love the Lord. You're not going to be able to receive the love of the Lord because you're unwilling to be vulnerable in the presence of the Lord. And if I had to look at a, a passage of scripture where I could see the vulnerability of Jesus and still the passion and the fire and the, the heart, I, I, I think, and this might this might be me, but I suspect it might not be me. I think that one of the things that drew people to Jesus was the fact that he was so, um, you didn't have to guess what was going on in his heart. He would say it, he was clear, he was loving, he was uncompromising, you know, and he was gracious. So to look at somebody that has such a high regard of what's right and what's wrong, and is still able to love and receive, that wouldn't be kind of thrown off by your uh, wickedness, right? However wicked I am, I think, man, I'm an extraordinary sinner. He would say, come here, give me a hug. I love you. I'll forgive you. you got to stop this. I'll forgive you. But you need to quit, you know? 
Are you broken? Can I fix you? Come here. You know, the lepers would come to him and say, not lepers, with a D, lepers, would come to him and say, if you're willing, I can be clean. And he would say, I'm willing. Come here. I'll give you a hug. I, got, I, I'm, I'm a, I, I, I am a recovering uh, germaphobe. I don't know if I'd give a leper a hug uh, as much as I trust in, 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 the, in the Lord. But man, Jesus would just grab somebody that's smelly and gross and missing a nose and give them a hug that would touch them and they would be healed. And if he was willing to do that with the worst sinners, and I, and I say worse sinners than you guys just because they had more time to sin. I, I, I don't doubt that some of you here feel like the worst sinners in the world. But I got to tell you, the Lord is able to forgive you. The Lord loves you. And if you're willing to be vulnerable, not to me, but to him, he can take and actually heal your life and restore you. The Lord carried me through stuff in my life that was uh, crazy stuff. I mean, uh, crazy stuff. I'll talk to you about it later if you want to talk about it, but I want to try to get to the Bible. But the Lord carried me through crazy home life, through crazy things that have traumatized and messed people up. And the Lord gave me a hope and gave me a future out of nothing. I'm a, no, I'm a nobody. And, and, and by the grace and mercy of the Lord, he's given me the ability to be able to stand here and talk to you. A privilege that I don't deserve and I never will. To talk to you is a privilege I don't deserve. And if God can do that in me, he can do that in you. The one thing that I think Jesus sometimes struggled with, uh, had a difficulty with, was the hardness and the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And... Uh, I'd like to look at this chapter. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples. So if you're ever reading through the Gospels and you're looking at Jesus' teaching, I think it's important for all of us to say, who is he giving this parable to? Who is he teaching in this? Yes. Sorry, uh, Matthew 23. Great question. Open to all questions. That's a great one. Matthew 23. It's really important um, when you're looking at, at the Gospels and going through it to see who he's talking to. Um, and in this case, he was talking to the multitudes, the thousands and thousands of people that followed him. And he was talking to his disciples. And when he starts speaking about the scribes and the Pharisees, uh, he was speaking about the people that everyone thought those are the righteous people. Those are the holy people. Those are the ones that don't mess up. Those are the ones that are in front of everybody as being perfect. These are the people that Jesus is speaking about and that he's condemning. And he's condemning them, you know, even looking back at, uh, at Luke chapter, when we were in Luke chapter 15 and looking at the parable of the uh, prodigal son, this is the older brother that he's speaking to. He's going to these people and he, as, the, as, as God, is going and pleading with them. This, to me, this chapter is not anger, this is him pleading with them. And he's trying to protect the multitudes from being misled by people that pretend to be something that they're not. And he's pleading. And so I see a lot of grace and mercy 
um, even in the incredibly strong words. But as we read through it, I would like for us to kind of understand who he's speaking about. It would be like he would be saying, beware of the pastors and elders, you know? Thank God, we, I think we have an okay church, you know? I think the pastors and elders are, are really trying hard, especially George, that guy, look at him. But, um, but imagine the shock that you would hear. Be careful of them. Those are the experts. Those are the holy guys. Those are the guys with the big, you know, the big phylacteries that have these, look, at, I read my Bible so much I put it on my face, you know. These are the people you respected. And he would say to them, the scribes and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat, which means they judge you according to the things of the law. And whatever they tell you to do, observe. That observe and do, but don't do according to their works. For they say and they do not do. Isn't that terrible? People that say and don't do giving commandments and orders to others that they themselves don't keep. He said, don't do that. He said, they are bind heavy burdens that are hard to bear, and they lay them on, on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries, these things on their head, they make them broad and enlarge the borders of their garments, which was kind of like to show how much they prayed. And they love the best places at the feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplaces. They love to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi, but you do not be called Rabbi, for there is only, there is, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. He's not saying you can't call your earthly father, father. Um, but they were not the earthly father of these people, but they still liked people calling them father. Oh, respected father. Oh, great teacher. And they were all doing it for show. They were all doing it because they loved the respect of men. And, and I, I don't know, I just, I think of how much we crave the respect of men. And we don't think about how God views us. What's God's perspective? What's God's heart? And he says, but he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And so often we're in a position where we are exalting ourselves, I'm exalting myself. You know how great I am? You know what I did? You know how much I know? You know how good I am at this and that and the other? You know what happens is if you're exalting yourself, then you're going to be humbled. If you humble yourself, then you're going to be exalted. But woe to you. Now he's turning to the scribes and Pharisees. And this always gets my heart. I, I read this and I get convicted by it because I don't want to be a scribe or a Pharisee in my heart. I don't want to be something, someone that's just doing something for show or just doing something for how people will look at me or think of me. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And that word in the Greek, you should be familiar with it, but if you are into drama, you ever see those masks? You've got the happy mask and you've got the sad mask, you know, for the drama, the little simple things, clip art that they'd have on Word back when they invented computers. 
But um, that's from when uh, the Romans would be performing in, 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 uh, in, in uh, art, artistic drama and plays and things like that in Colosseums. They didn't have the ability to project their voice. And even if they're there yelling, how can you tell if the person's happy or the person's sad? So they had these masks that were made with exaggerated expressions. So that if you saw a character and you're wondering, what did they say? You looked at them, well, they looked sad. I think that what they said was this, you know. Oh, okay, so they're happy now. And, and you just have these masks that you put on. And that's the word that Jesus is using there and that we use now for hypocrite. Because a hypocrite is someone who just puts on masks. They just change their face so that other people will see the expression that's on their mask and think that's how they feel or that's who they are. But that's not really, there's no correspondence between what's on their face and what's in their heart. And that, that can be the case for me sometimes. That what's on my face is different than what's in my heart. And he says to them, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For, neither you, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore you will receive the greater condemnation. You see, from the Lord's perspective, he's sitting there thinking, because these people want to put on a show and they want to put on a face and pretend to be something that they're not, they're making the standard up here impossible. And they're making it impossible for anybody to be genuine or real. And so then they make it impossible for other people to be saved and they themselves are not going to be saved. They're like blocking the entrance. And Jesus is just saying, get out of the way. Let somebody go through. Let somebody go through the fire escape. Let them get out. There's a fire. This place is going to burn down. And then the other thing that they would do in their hypocrisy is they would secretly take advantage of other people. They devour widows' houses. But publicly, oh, super long prayers. You know, they come out to pray and it's thee and thou and thus. And from the Lord's perspective, as he sees what happens in the dark, as well as what happens publicly, for him to say, what's the point of that prayer? You think I'm listening to that prayer? I, I just saw what you did to that person. How you took advantage of that person. Get your heart right. Get the inside right. And then I want to listen to your prayer. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel on land and sea to win one proselyte, that's like a convert, and when he's one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are, you yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing, but whoever swells, swears by the gold of the temple, it is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, which is greater? The gold in the temple? or the temple that sanctifies the gold. And whoever swears by the altar, it's nothing, but whoever swears by the gift that is on the altar is obliged to perform it, fools and blind. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? And so there they thought, look, the possessions that are in the temple are great and holy. But Jesus says, it doesn't matter what's in the temple. What matters is what's in your heart. Because if there's no relationship in your heart with the Lord, the temple doesn't mean anything. You know, and, and, and these times are amazing and they're awesome and they're powerful and they're great to the extent that I come here with a heart ready to receive from the Lord. 
because camp is awesome. Headwaters was awesome. This is awesome. Anywhere you go is awesome. As long as your heart is right, the heart that you have is what makes this experience awesome. If you bring here the heart of saying, God, I need to know you. I want to know you. I want to get right with you. I don't care about anything more than I care about you, Lord Jesus. Then you're going to have an amazing experience anywhere you go to camp. Every time you go do your devotional time. Because you know that the Lord sees what's going on. And that relationship is amazing. And you can sanctify a, a room in your house. That becomes the temple of the Lord. And it, and it makes everything in that room holy because that's where you go and you worship the Lord and you pray and you read your Bible by yourself between you and God and nobody else sees it, but God sees it. And you walk out of there and you go talk to people and they're going to say, what happened to you? What happened to you? People get saved. People get healed. People get touched because you spend time with the Lord. Therefore, he who swears by the temple swears by it and him who dwells in it. He who, verse 22, he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. What do you scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites for you pay a tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. And so, again, outwardly, I mean, does anybody, anybody here have like a garden at home? An herb garden? Anybody have an herb garden at home? It's regular garden. So it's, imagine you, you look at your plant and you take off all the, the thyme and cumin and, and you take out the mint and the, the, the what is it that everybody has, uh, cilantro. You take it all out and you put it on a little scale and you measure it and then you take out a tenth of that and then you bring it and you tithe it. It's like, whoa, that person's really serious about their tithe. You know, that's crazy. But that's what they would do. And he would say, why are you tithing on your herbs and blind? Keep your herbs. <laughs> he says something greater. He's like, stop lying and then tithe on your herbs <laughs> if you want to do it. But he said, don't, don't tithe on your, on your herbs. Don't get so, so detailed, fastidious about like a little thing. Just a little, I want to do this little thing. I want everybody to see that I'm doing this little thing for the Lord because everyone sees that I'm doing that. But inside your heart, right, there's deception or there's lust or there's pride or there's corruption or there's hatred or there's unforgiveness. That's his deal with your heart. Deal with your heart and then come do those public things for me. Deal with the weightier matters of the law that there would be justice and mercy and faith. These you ha ought to have done without leaving the others undone. He says, blind guides who strain out a gnat and you swallow a camel. It's got to be some sarcasm in Jesus, you know? You're, you're straining with a sift. You're straining a, a gnat out of, you know, you're eating a soup. And then you find a gnat goes into it, so you run it through a strainer. And then you pour the soup on a camel and swallow it. And Jesus says, come on. You know, you're focusing on the wrong thing. What do you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites? For you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, and the inside is full of extortion and self-indulgence. I don't know who that doesn't hit. I mean, self-indulgence is what our whole culture is about, right? It's all about like indulging me and I need some me time. And it's all about me, 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 me. Self-indulgent. And so for us on the outside to wash clean and look like we're really uh, holy and righteous, but on the inside, it's all about my flesh and it's all about my self and it's all about me. 
It's a waste of, it's a waste of, of an exercise, right? Because then the outside looks clean and we think we're clean, but we're not clean if our heart's not clean. You should have started with the heart. The heart's the most important thing. The heart's the only thing that the Lord cares about. The Lord doesn't care about the outside as much as he cares about what's going on on the inside. Blind Pharisee first cleansed the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, also outwardly you appear righteous to men, but inside... You're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and you adorn the monuments of the righteous. And you say, oh, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. So they would take the places where the prophets were martyred and they would decorate it and they would put all this money to make it look really fancy and say, I never would have done something like that to the prophets. And yet, here Jesus is speaking to them. Jesus is revealing himself to them. And they are so committed to maintain their deception that they're going to kill him for it. They would rather crucify their Savior than repent, than humble themselves, than be honest with where they're at spiritually. And the Lord says, it's a hypocrisy. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt, serpents, brood of vipers. How can you escape the condemnation of hell? This is this would have been this would have been a, a uh, this would have been a, a bomb going off and him saying that to the multitudes with the Pharisees and scribes there. Woe to you, serpents and vipers. How are you going to get out of hell with that attitude, with that heart? I mean, ugh. Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes. And some of them you'll kill and crucify. And some of them you'll scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. That on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. It's like the Lord's keeping account. Those are all my servants. Those are each, one of, each one of those were my servants that were martyred. And the people despised them. The, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, their type, despised them. But the Lord said, those were my servants, and I'm keeping tabs. And, the, and, and, and the, 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 the price will be paid for that, right? Assuredly, I say to you that all these things will come upon this generation. And then this verse. It's almost like he stops and sighs. Um, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you weren't willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you that you shall see me no more until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then Jesus went out and departed from the temple.
That's a crazy thing. Here he's preaching this to the multitudes and to his disciples in the temple where the Pharisees and the scribes are. So Jesus, I mean, if you want a brave Savior, Jesus is a brave Savior. He will defend you. He will protect you. He is not afraid of anyone. He says it right to their face. But then he stops and he speaks to the city. And he says, oh, Jerusalem. There were so many times when I wanted to gather you as a hen gathers her children and her chicks. Isn't there tenderness in that? Isn't there love in that? Isn't there grace and sincerity and mercy in that? I don't like regret. The older I am, the more I have things that I regret. I hate regret. Um, But to hear that in the heart of the Lord, isn't that something? He's not regretting his actions. He's not regretting having loved Jerusalem, having desired to, to heal and restore and gather Jerusalem to, herself, to himself. He's regretting their unwillingness to be gathered. It's, it's a mind-boggling thing. But you were not willing. Isn't the Lord quite a gentleman? He's not going to force you. You're young. So you have time. But you don't have infinite amounts of time. And none of us is guaranteed tomorrow. And the older you get, the faster time seems to pass by. And you start wondering, is it another week? Is it the next month? Is it New Year's Day again? What's going on? Why is this going by so quickly? So for us to be in a place where the Lord is giving us an opportunity to be gathered you have an opportunity to be gathered by the Lord to be protected, to be loved, to be forgiven, to be given a hope and a future and a promise and a calling. And if we're unwilling to hear that, we're unwilling to receive that, the Lord in his grace will give you what you want. He will say, all right, I'll wait over here. But you're getting really close to the end. And you're just going to keep pressing and walking as far as you want until you get there? It breaks my heart. I, I've had conversations with people when I've told them, the path that you're going down will force me to make a decision I do not want to make here. But I will make it. And I, and I, and I want you to know I might cry myself to sleep every night until you repent. Don't make that choice. And I don't know if that's the case for some of you, but I think that might be the case for some of you because it's sometimes been the case for me where the Lord is desiring to gather me up, but I'm unwilling. You've got all these other passages of Scripture where Jesus is hosting a wedding. And he's inviting everyone out to the wedding. Come to the wedding of my son. You know, God the Father is having this wedding for his son. And he sends out the invitation. And everybody that he invited is making excuses. Everybody. Oh, yeah, just, I just 
bought a house. I was really hoping uh, to live in it for a couple of months, you know, before I went out to do anything. Oh, man, I was going to wash my hair that day. Oh, you know. I mean, think about how that makes the Lord feel. I invited you. What do you mean you're not going to come? All right. He's not going to cancel the wedding. He's not going to postpone or reschedule the wedding. He'll find whoever's willing to come. He'll reach out to you. But if we're unwilling, he'll say, okay, are you willing? 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 Come on, come on. And he'll bring anybody willing to come until the day comes when we'll stand and say, Lord, now I want to give and surrender. And it might be too late. The Lord says that there's a day of salvation. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time to surrender your life to the Lord. Now is the time to let go of that sin. Now is the time to repent. Now is the time to be genuine and real. Because once that time passes, then you hear things like this from the Lord. Ah, oh, Christopher, Christopher, how many times I wanted to gather you, but you were unwilling. And at this point, he says, your house has left you desolate. Once the Lord says, you will see me no more. That's what it's going to be. So, I had a whole other set of something to talk about. But I wanted to, I wanted to have an opportunity to plead with all of you. I want to look at everybody's face. Look, I did that by accident. I want to look at everybody's face. The Lord loves you. And I understand how you feel. I understand the anxiety that you feel. I understand how much you're fighting for just wanting to be normal, <laughs> accepted, loved, appreciated for who you are. I know that, and the Lord knows that. But don't let pretense and hypocrisy get in the way of you being real with Jesus. Because that's not something to play around with. And there is a limit to the opportunities that we have to do something about the grace of God that's being extended to us. I have never given anything to the Lord that I have regretted giving to the Lord. I have gone through pain anguish and loss and rejection. I've had a lot of the things that I thought, this is the worst possible thing that could happen, happen. I'm a worst case scenario guy. I started a worst case scenario and then I worked my way back from there. It drives my wife nuts. But I've never surrendered to the Lord anything that I've ever regretted. He's never disappointed me. He's never let me down. He's surprised me sometimes. He's done things that I, I didn't think I wanted him to do. But in the long run, I've been so glad that he did. But if the Lord is reaching out to you, and the Lord is speaking to you now, then you should respond now.
And if I can kind of pull any any measure of like experience, like the experience card on this, I've never seen the word of God ever fall short. I've always tried to put my confidence on like, well, this is what the Bible says. I don't even know how that makes sense, but that's what the Bible says. I'm going to do it. And and as I've seen the lives of people play out, I've never seen someone's choices prove God's word wrong. The Bible has always been spot on. There's a guy once I know who said he saw uh, he saw someone become a prodigal and then repent. And this was a youth, and this was years ago. He saw someone who was a prodigal and then repent and say, that's what I want to do. I want to go out and live in the world. I'm going to just go, you know, sow my wild oats and uh, live, like, live like, you know, sin and hell. And then later on, I'll, I'll repent. I'll, eventually, I'll get right. I'll repent. I'll get my heart right. And I'll, I'll be walking with the Lord again like that guy. And I, I saw that person go out after the world. And I never saw them come back. But I did hear them say, man, I made a lot of mistakes. And that broke my heart. Because I remember when they said the other thing. And, they, and, I, and, I, and I, I've, I've heard them, I've heard them say, man, I've, I've made a lot of terrible mistakes. I don't know where my life is at right now. I really want to get my life right. I, I, I think I can try. I think I can try. And I think, man, you could have saved yourself years. You could have saved yourself so much pain. And uh, you guys haven't made those decisions yet. You might think you have, but you haven't made those decisions yet. You can still make those decisions now and say, I'm going to save myself all that pain. It's a very foolish person that can't learn from the mistakes of others. If you choose to be the kind of person that will only learn from your own mistakes, you're missing out on half of what God's trying to teach you. I love to look at other people and say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> look at that. Oh, I could do that. You know? And, and you can afford to still do that at the age in which you're at right now. You can be like a Samuel who heard the voice of the Lord and saw how Eli was a terrible priest and said, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a good priest. I'm going to give the, the message of the Lord honestly and earnestly with all my heart. I'm going to be righteous. I'm not going to be like Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli. You can be like David who saw Saul as king and he saw how he was troubled by an evil spirit as king and said, I'm not going to do that. Whatever he did, what was it that he did again? Disobedience? When the Lord gave him a command as king? I'm not going to do that. That's terrible. I'm going to be honest with the Lord. I'm going to repent of my sins. Saul still hasn't repented. This is why he's like this. I'm going to repent of my sins. I'm going to hear whatever the Lord has to say for me from whoever he sends to speak to me. He was called a man after God's own heart. The Lord doesn't expect perfection of you, but he does expect you to be sincere and honest and open with him. It's important that we would have this heart to be able to receive from the Lord, to not take for granted what we have. You guys are genuinely blessed. I don't want to call anybody out. I, I love the devil that Matt shared. I don't know where he is, but he's pretty tall, so he probably his head will pop up somewhere. 
There he is. He's sitting down on the floor. But I love the devil that Matt shared, where he was talking about the grace that the Lord, the, the mercies, the blessings that God has showed us. And I don't know if we recognize those things. If you got a mom and a dad in your house, that's that's a rarity. If you got a mom in their house, that's a rarity. If you got a dad in your house, that's a rarity. If you go to a church, that's a rarity. If you go to a church that preaches the Bible, that loves you, that loves you, that prays for you, that cares about you, that pleads with you, that's a that's an unusual blessing that you have. You gotta take advantage of that. If you're surrounded, if you can look around at the table that you're there, at where or the other tables, you can look around at your table, right? If you see someone, you think, I think that person has a real relationship with Jesus. See somebody, see like at least one person, maybe. I think that person really loves the Lord. They're not perfect, but they love Jesus. That's a rarity. That's a rarity. That's a privilege. And we can't take that for granted. You know? So, I can talk about service still, but I think I'd like to give an opportunity for anybody to respond. Um, why don't we pray? I want you to think about it. I'm not, I'm not trying to, I am not one for trying to kind of, um, I hate the idea of being here and trying to emotionally move you. Because I don't think that produces anything. But I'm also not interested in kind of talking down to you like you guys are kids. You guys are not kids anymore. I'm talking to you like I would talk to an adult. Like I would talk to any one of my friends or anyone that I'm ministering to in church. There's people that I, I, I said this in, in young adults, so that one time I had the opportunity to share with them. I wanted to say it again with you guys. I see sometimes people in church, and I see the service going on, and I see them not paying attention, not, don't have their own Bible, not taking notes. And in my heart, I'm thinking, what? And I see them come and come, go and come and go. They don't talk to anybody. They don't have any friends. They don't have... I'm thinking, what are you doing? What are you here for? If you're not going to get right with Jesus, you're wasting your time. Get your heart right with Jesus. I want to grab them and shake them. If you ever see me shaking somebody in church, like, come on, what's wrong with you? It's probably just because I snapped. But, you know, don't, don't, don't waste your time. Don't waste your time. I hate wasting time. Take advantage of the opportunity you have to get right with the Lord while you still can. If God is speaking to you today, I want to encourage you to do something about it. So I don't know if, like, the youth leaders could be somewhere that they're standing in the back there or, uh, maybe they could be up front or however however they see you know what these leaders are who they are and um, we have some worship maybe and the the purpose there would be that as we're as you're hearing worship you have the opportunity to, to worship the Lord you have the opportunity to respond to the Lord and you can go and grab somebody and pray with them you can also go and grab me and pray with me I don't smell too bad I took a shower earlier and I think I'm okay but don't take for granted the opportunity that you have. Respond to what the Lord is speaking to you. Today is a day of salvation. The, the Old Testament is full of examples of people who took for granted the opportunities that God gave them to repent. 
And God gave us those as examples so that we wouldn't follow the same mistakes. So if God's been stirring your heart, you could, if you could look at me for just a second, if God's been stirring your heart, yes, that is God speaking to you. And you should answer. You should answer while you still can. If God's speaking to you, you should answer while you still can. Because it's the Lord speaking. Don't take it for granted. And if you're here and you're thinking, man, I, uh, I don't know if the Lord's speaking to me right now, then please pray. Because I know there's other people here that the Lord's speaking to. The Lord's spoken to me. The Lord's speaking to others that are here. So then pray for your friends. Pray for the person next to you. Pray for the person in front of you. Okay? Lord, I just thank you for your word and for the opportunity to be here and to, to cry out to you, Lord. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to seek you while you may be found. Lord, that's in scripture. Uh, Lord, and I pray that no one here would wait until it's too late. Um, that they would repent, that they'd turn to you, that they'd confess, Lord, any, anything they're harboring in their heart, Lord, if it's unforgiveness, if it's resentment, if it's hatred, if it's fear, anxiety, if it's lust. Lord, they would confess to you and they would seek prayer and help. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.